Hi everyone. Welcome back. Welcome one and all to another episode of Plastic Science. This week, I'm going to address the duo, the two sides of the same coin, that is our current beauty standard, fillers and Botox. Or in other words, making parts of one's face bigger, smaller and smoother. Lots of people these days are getting some work done. So I thought I'd describe the biology behind the new beauty standard we've cultivated. Lip fillers are absolutely everywhere these days, and Botox too. So let's get stuck in. I'd like to begin by casting our memories back six years to 2015, to the Kylie Jenner lip challenge, and how great of an example it was at showing how beauty ideals can warp us. This challenge was to enlarge one's lips, like Kylie Jenner's, by taking a shot glass or a bottle or something and basically sucking your lips into it hard for about five minutes. <sighs> Luckily for us, the participating teens stopped after some Sun and Daily Mail articles published truly horrific images of these unnaturally broken, destroyed big lips, extreme bruising and even skin tearing. Even luckier still, though, is that the stigma of going under the knife is very diminished these days, and it's definitely safer and more effective to just get fillers instead of damaging your face with various small containers every day. Normal lip anatomy is quite complex. Think of how many weird shapes you can make with your lips. When you inject filler, you lose some of the micro control that you have. It's why you generally don't see a Kardashian or a Jenner do anything but a gentle pout or kisses. But it's also probably because I think the brand they've built is a kind of a serious, um, non-goofy one. Anyway, the size of the lip filler should always be decided in proportion to the cheeks and the nose of the individual. Something that helps decide how much lip filler for you is the vermilion border, the line where your lips go from dry to wet. It's the divide between the outer lip epithelium and the inner lip mucosa. And it basically dictates how much room you have to play with for filler injection. If a lot of filler is injected, you'll lose the natural lines that are in the lips themselves. The spare kind of, the spare lip tissue that gets stored in the creases during resting, <laughs> resting bitch face <laughs> and pulled out during active bitch face or smiling. The actual material of the filler varies from company to company, but there's one common denominator of most fillers, and that is hyaluronic acid. HA is basically a feathery molecule that binds a lot of water. It's found in abundance in cartilage, and also in most every skincare line these days. If you'd like to know more about hyaluronic acid, the first episode of this podcast has a lot of detail. Mm. And I have a text. <laughs> Hyaluronic acid ends up forming a squishy injectable gel. So the idea is to have something soft and plump going into the lips instead of a hard substance or something that's too watery that will just float off everywhere into your face. Injection technique is really where plastic surgery comes into artistry. As an absolute baseline, the filler should never be injected into an artery or a vein as it will cause parts of your face to die. There's no nice way of putting that. If that happens, you're in lawsuit land with a lot of physical and psychological pain. Mr. Niall Kirkpatrick is a consultant plastic surgeon in central London, 
And he was actually one of my plastic surgery lecturers during my master's at UCL. Anyhow, he says of fillers, that some people develop chronic pain. And even if the filler dissolves away later on, the lips can be permanently stretched. Baggy lips. It's something to consider as you enter the lip filler world. It could be a lifelong commitment. If the filler is injected too superficially, i.e. just under the skin, the skin will take on a bluish colour and the filler needs to be taken out and started all over again. The thing is, it's not as easy as sucking it back out through the syringe. You need to use an enzyme called hyaluronidase to break down the hyaluronic acid. The thing about HA filler, though, is that it's not forever. Over time, a year approximately, the body will break it down. You know, these repeat appointments suit the filler companies just fine. But there's still ongoing research on how to keep it there for longer. The idea is, you involve your own cells living and growing within the filler. After it's injected, filler is just a big blob of hyaluronic acid that is not alive. So the idea is if we can get the cells to somehow infiltrate and live in there, the cells can secrete collagen and begin adopting the new volume into the lips as human tissue, not just filler that came from a syringe. One strategy to fulfill this goal is to mix in some of your own cells with the filler before it's injected. There was actually a clinical trial testing this run in 2013, but published in 2019, allowing for a follow-up of over four years. The research group harvested skin from the patient's groin, then extracted fibroblasts from that skin. Fibroblasts are the main cells that pump out the collagen. They grew those cells in the lab until they had about 20 million fibroblasts to mix in with one mil of filler. The filler and cell mixture was then injected back into that same patient in whatever part of the face they wanted. After three or four years, I'll just quote what they said. After three or four years, no adverse event was recorded in any patient during the follow-up period. No patients experienced an allergic reaction, infection, rejection, hematoma, granuloma, or nodule distorting the shape, migration, or extrusion of the product. All right, so sounds pretty good and doable. It's possible to have a longer lasting filler with your cells injected. However, not only will this involve removing some skin from another part of your body, potentially your groin, but the whole procedure is gonna cost an arm and a leg for growing your cells, and there's a risk that something weird bad will happen to your cells in culture. So the cell mixing idea is far from normal clinical adoption. By contrast, silicon injections are permanent. That's because silicon is totally synthetic, not normally found in the body. Actually, there's a major downside of using silicon that we'll describe in more detail when we talk about breast implants. But very briefly, silicon is foreign to the body, so it will elicit what's called a foreign body reaction. The body will then wall off the silicon with a collagen barrier. Over time, that barrier gets thicker, tougher and harder. It's referred to as a capsule. There might even be a cell type called a myofibroblast, which is basically a muscular fibroblast that enjoys contracting, leading to something called capsular contracture. So it can totally misshape the collagen from its original form. Literally, God only knows what shape it could take in the face. This same problem extends to silicon breast implants, but as I said, we'll get to that episode later. 
that's a show I'm going to have to take my time and work up to. You can't just jump into breast augmentation podcasting. I'm still navigating these waters. Since I've talked fillers, I'd like to check in on the other side of that surgical seesaw. Botox is a compound word made from botulinum toxin. It was originally discovered as the toxin made by a special strain of bacteria called Clostridium botulinum. Botox is a powerful neurotoxin, meaning it kills nerves very, very effectively. And that's the use of Botox, injecting the toxin in neat to kill the nerves that lead to muscles, but on a very small scale, obviously. We all know that Botox is for loosening muscle-induced wrinkles, but there's another usage these days for another muscle in the face, the masseter. As one of the four muscles responsible for chewing, the masseter is found at the sides of your cheeks. It's the most superficial one, and you can see it pop in some sinewy-faced people when they're chewing. The masseter is blamed for the problem of nighttime teeth grinding. So Botox is used to effectively shut down this muscle permanently and relieve the grinding problem. So that's grand and effective. But when you Botox a muscle, it isn't used. And when a muscle isn't used, it shrinks. A side effect of dental grinding Botox has stepped into the light recently all on its own because a shrunken masseter equals a slimmer face and more exaggerated cheekbones. It's so far removed from the dental grinding by now that clinics are saying, and I quote, if you were looking for a convenient, long-lasting and non-surgical solution for achieving a more feminine and beautiful face shape, Botox masseter injection may be right for you. Describing the biology behind the changing beauty standard is honestly as much a joy as it is a weird reckoning with the time that we live in. My message at the end of it all is still one of body acceptance, and that includes accepting a body that has had procedures and fixes. We should all feel free to do what we want with ourselves. And I speak as a tattooed woman. (laughs) How could I possibly draw a line between injecting ink and filler? Tanning, teeth whitening or straightening, Accutane, nose jobs, hair transplants, eyebrow lifts. It is my fervent hope that people feel free enough to do what they wish without being judged in the safest manner possible. And while it's okay to reject the pillowy lips and slimmer faces achieved by the clinics, it's also okay to experiment and find what makes you feel the best. All right, everyone, that brings to a close this episode of Plastic Science. Tune in next time for another episode. I'm going to stop promising what topic is coming up next because I've gotten it wrong the last two times. So um, could be cellulite, could be rosacea, could be skin and stress, could be breast implants, finally. <laughs> Dunno. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for your listenership. Join us next time. And until then, stay safe, stay at home and keep making good decisions. Bye for now.